0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today, we got a Q&A. Uh, I want to thank you guys for being here and listening to the podcast. If you are a returning listener and you have not left a rating review, please do so if you enjoy the show. Make sure you share it with a friend who could also use this information, and if you are new here, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us a chance, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you do, share it with a friend, uh, subscribe, clearly, and leave a rating and review. We would appreciate it. It helps us grow. Um, Just dropped two new blogs on the uh, website, too, if you guys want to go check those out. Uh, One is called Hit vs. List. What is the best strategy, uh, cardio strategy for fat loss? And that is written by Dr. Brandon Roberts, the chief science officer on our team. And I wrote a blog, uh, and this is the ultimate clickbait here. The ultimate Ultimate. fat burner supplement stack. Ultimate. Ultimate. What did I say? Ultimate. Ultimate. Ultimate fat burner supplement stack, which is like so fucking cheesy and anti- everything we stand for (laughs) but it's not if you actually read the article because it's backed by science and there's some very very specific caveats um it was like nine pages on docs google docs so it's really in depth and it's actually something i used during the photo shoot and it actually works i'll probably record a podcast about it too um but it's something to use at the tail end of a cut so if you're interested in something like that it is a good read um feels good to get back on the blog and actually start writing again um I think I have a list of, like, 20 different articles, either from... Ideas? Some are ideas, some are uh, already written from Brandon on the team, the chief science officer, and then some are um, from our SEO people. Mm. So they're, like, they're called content briefs, so it's not actually written yet, but there's a lot of bullets links like focus points stuff like that Mm. to help you it's like a skeleton of a blog um, to help us get a head start and then there's a bunch of just ones that I just want to write but it'll be good to get back on there things are starting to clear up and I'm able to do so because that's always been a big focus is building the website and now that they're almost done I think actually by the time this airs they probably will be done it's supposed to be done this week but there's like they're we're tweaking some things on the blog to make the user experience just even better when you're reading it just gonna be so much easier and clearer to read um, the, uh, the guides page changed as well. So if you guys haven't downloaded any of our free guides, they're huge eBooks essentially for free. Um, you just download them and, uh, there's five or six on there, I think, um, tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides, but we changed that page too. So it's like a a sliding like bar and stuff around. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um, so, little tweaks happening here and there. Uh, excited about that. Just finished the, uh, the design for the habit tracker inside the Tate Trainer app I showed you. Super dope. Um, and now we've... We, I just got a thing from them today. We finished the design for the each exercise. Mm. Honestly, this this app's going to be so fucking dope. The thing I love about it is because I have used... I don't want to shout companies, but <laughs> <laughs> I've used every training app that you can use as a coach to be able to program for your clients. And I've subscribed to countless people, some of which I'm like, you're just some fitness influ- influencer that I don't even trust your programming, Yeah, but I want to see what your app looks like. So I've signed up, I've, I've paid my dues. Um, and I don't even do the free trial. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to at least pay for this because that's the least I can do if I'm going to be like snooping, snooping around and shit. Um, and it, the training apps are cheap as fuck anyway, so I'm like, whatever. But um, I'm able to see, like, what I think looks really good and what's missing. Um, and then even from our current apps, like, what's missing or what is there, but it's hard for people to find. Because there's been a lot of questions where they'll ask me something, and I'm like, oh, it's there, like this icon or this. And it's like, okay, we need to better label these things, you know. Um, but today we were going through, like, the difference between a single exercise, a superset, and a circuit, and then implementing RIR. Um, and we're, like, associating colors with them, so we have our own way of kind of programming it and stuff and explaining it, but I'm super excited. We're going to be busy soon, dude. we yeah. got to start. Um, we already started yesterday oh, filming more exercises, uh, but the video library is going to be a big piece of it, and uh my inside thought- Inside the app. Inside the app, yeah. And my thought is, like, doing a weekly video and just do dropping one a week, that way it's, like... Pretty in depth. So, for example, we talked on the uh, podcast we recorded yesterday about um, individualizing exercise selection for your limb lengths, right? I'm like, okay, well, I could do a super in-depth video on that, but I don't want to post that on Instagram or YouTube because those are strategies I use with my one-on-one clients. Yeah. Like, I don't want to just give that away. And it's like, a, that's going to be a 20-minute video. You know, that's not going to do well with algorithm. Why would I waste, not wasting my time, but spend all that time putting out something that's not going to get a good reach and the people do get reach honestly should be paying for that because that's like high level shit. Um, But the Taylor trainer can get that. So we can film a video on that, you know, and and just going through the different things like that. Um, I even thought about today. I posted that post, which I didn't get any debate. People were like, yeah, I fucking agree. I was expecting people to (laughs) like, be like, absolutely not. Yeah. Mobility is so important and argue with me, but I guess, I mean, I think I'm right. So maybe there's more people that think that than I expected, um, but like the mobility craze was a big thing. so what does mobility for physique training or, or gen pop training actually look like? Yeah, it's not a forty five minute session you know rolling around the ground, then you're so bored and tired by the end of it, you don't even want to train um, so h- how do I like put together a video on that you know and so I got a bunch of ideas for all that stuff. Um, and we have a mobility video that mm-hmm. we did for. The dynamic warm-up. No. Oh, are you talking about like the warm-up videos for each one? Mobility video that we did for the... Uh, YouTube page? the m- Portal. I believe it's a dynamic warm-up. Oh, there's okay. mobility in it. Yes. For sure. Okay. Um, and that was one of the points I made is there's a difference between mobility and dynamic warm-up. Because dynamic warm-up is like... okay. Get in, get the job done, get the fuck out. You don't need to spend too much time. What do you need to do? Do a little bit of it. Hit these three check marks and then get out. Don't spend your time. But there's a lot of people who do uh, mobility courses and they go through mobility workshops and they get so into it that they end up doing this overly extended mobility session. Yeah. You're just exhausted by the end of it. It's pointless. So, um, I hope if you do those on like a separate day. That would be a better way to go about it for yeah. sure. And I think that can be, and that's what I said in there, this, that's necessary if... You have an injury. You have yeah. a root cause causing dysfunction in your movement. The problem is, is most people don't. Most people are totally fine. In the worst dysfunction they have is a limited range of motion. Yeah. So like I can't do a big range of motion in my squat or a big range of motion in my dead my RDL. So they spend too much time doing mobility and not enough time strengthening end ranges. It's like, okay, go lighter so you can get that range of motion and hold the stretch under load. Strength training is stretching, right? But it's it's Underload resisted flexibility training essentially but that's what mobility is is strength plus flexibility if you do mobility if you if you, you're like I'm gonna spend 20 minutes touching my toes every single day and then you go to grab barbell there's barely any carryover if any at all because when you're touching your toes there's no weight resisting you from doing that you know um, I would rather people start light and just progress in their yeah. strength training with full range of motion but um, anyway I we're gonna start filming those soon that way when it drops because I mean, man, we're getting close. Yeah. Shannon sent me a picture today. She's fucking looking at Halloween decor. I'm like, holy shit! So, not even September. <laughs> I know. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, and we're not getting anything yet. I was like, D- I don't like doing all that stuff. I'm like, this is not. look luck. I like Christmas decor inside. I just don't like hanging the lights, and the- I don't like reindeers in my yard. <laughs> reindeer oh like fake one yeah, yeah. we had like four reindeers yeah. and a sled in our yard last year oh yeah and a projector into the i mean when you have a kid it just starts getting crazy but um the 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 shitty thing about that is i mean Jul- july was the first month of summer for us because june was so shitty i feel like it's like damn summer's Absolutely. already over yeah yeah, like i don't think so i think it's it's going to be going until
1: mid-september hopefully
0: we have a late summer yeah yeah i hope so uh whatever all right, should we start some questions? Yeah, we should probably do that.
1: All right, uh, we are going to start off. The first one is from Erica. It says, my he- my resting heart rate used to be at 76. Now that I am more athletic, my resting heart rate is about 65. Does this mean I bet I burn less calories and have to eat less now? My Fitbit tracks my calories burned each day, and it seems to be low.
0: Yeah, so this is uh, a highly complex um topic scenario situation so I'm going to kind of give the cliff notes because otherwise it would be a whole podcast I mean if we and I did I, I've done an interview it's been a while so it's an older episode but um, if you search uh, in the podcast for my episode with Dr. Mike T. Nelson all we talk about is HRV heart rate variability um, and I also have an episode with Joel Jameson that we touch on our heart uh, HRV because he owns um, uh, what is it called now it used to be BioForce uh, Morpheus He's also the leading conditioning expert, so we talk a lot about aerobic conditioning, but both those episodes will do it more justice than me, but a few things here. Number one, um, your resting heart rate is one thing, and your HRV is another, so an HRV score can fluctuate depending on what tool you're using, um, right? If you're using Morpheus, you might have a score of 73. The I use, and this is a cool one for anybody out there who wants just a free, easy to use, and it's really good, Elite HRV, um, it's a free app. You can pay for some stuff if you want to, but if you're just trying to check your readiness score, you check it in the morning with like a polar strap, um, on your chest, check your heart rate, two and a half minutes, gives you HRV score. Uh, my HRV score was seven today versus 73 with, you know, there's different, I mean, really it's one out of a hundred or one out of 10 typically, but, um, your heart rate variability is the variability between heart rates. So <laughs> and this is where it's so hard to simplify this topic. Um, Heart rate variability is a way to determine your recoverability. So your recovery score essentially. So if I have a seven, for example, seven is, is good. Eight is great. Nine and 10 is like, you are fucking amazing. Granted, if I'm nine and 10 constantly, I'm not training hard enough. If I'm constantly at five or six, I'm training too hard, right? So there's this, you need this, you need waves, you need fluctuation. You should see a dip and then you should take a recovery day or a rest day and then you should see it go up and then you should make it go back down by training really hard and you have that variability within it. Um, there's also reason that if you see it go from four to eight or from eight to four, like these huge swings, even if it's going in a positive direction, that's probably not a good thing because it's too dramatic of a change. Either something is inaccurate with the reading or um, your programming is off and, and you're having too big of waves or fluctuations. Um, but heart rate variability, again, is just your score. So me having a 7 this morning. I woke up, had a 7. It's good. My score means good. I can train pretty hard today and I'll be safe. Um Two days ago, I was a six, and it was like, you should probably go light. If it's a four or five, it's probably going to tell me not to train, right? If it's an eight or nine, it's like max out today. Like, go balls to the wall. Um, It's doing this by usually good HRV apps and trackers don't just go off of heart rate variability. They will use other things. So my Elite HRV app connects to um, my Apple Health app. Um, I don't have my phone in my pocket all day, but I just add my steps in after I use my tracker, Mm -hmm. Um, so my health app is connected to my aura ring as well. So I'll literally put my aura ring on now before I go to bed just to try to track my sleep. I don't wear it during the day because uh, I think it's inaccurate for steps. Um, and I don't train with the ring anyway. So it's kind of like, what's the point? Yeah. Put it on, go to bed, tracks my sleep. My, the sleep from aura ring is more accurate than my phone on my nightstand, which if you don't, can't afford an aura ring or anything, you can actually just put your phone on your nightstand and it will... I don't know if it's using the camera or what, but it basically it, it can see if you get up in the night, and that'll it'll judge your mm-hmm. movement and stuff. Trippy, um, series watching, yeah. But um, the uh, series inside you, literally, and uh, so. I will, my sleep will get tracked in there. My steps will go in there. Um, both of those go to my elite HRV. It tracks my heart rate in the morning, which gives it a variability. It uses all this to tell me what is my score, right? Yeah. If I want to take it to another level, I can add my strength training in. So I did a vigorous training workout for a strength workout for 45 minutes or an hour, or cardio for 30 minutes. Like you can add those things in. It tells you what your activity, your recovery, your sleep, all that is, right? Your HRV score is what's going to tell you how well you can train. Now, the better your HRV score typically means the better – and again, this doesn't just mean you're getting eights all the time. It means that your variability is improving. So I'm able to train really hard, sink it down to a five, and then I can recover quickly and get it back up to an eight within a couple of days and train again. And I'm not at a five for days and days and days on end because I just beat myself to the ground. Yep. So you can see it improve by progressing in strength and exercise and all that. But the, higher the, the better the HRV score consistently and the lower your heart rate, usually the lower your heart rate helps your HRV score go up, it does mean you're getting more aerobically fit. The more aerobically fit you are, the better you can recover from anything because even in strength training, when I am between reps, when I am between sets, when I am between days of work, uh, training sessions like day to day, my aerobic oxidative system is what is allowing the body to repair and recover, right? That's what's delivering oxygen to the blood cells, and to the muscles to repair what I already did. So, If you are really aerobically fit, I could do a set of 10 and then be ready to do another set of 10 shorter, like quicker than I would have been if I was less aerobically fit, essentially. totally. Um, Even though it's a strength training workout. And this is why I think it's dumb when people just want to build strength, just want to build muscle and they never do any cardio. It's like you should still do cardio for the benefits of aerobic fitness. You don't need to do all the time, but you need to do some. Um, Now, as I get better at aerobic fitness, my heart rate, I'm able to maintain a lower heart rate for a longer duration of activity, uh, which means my resting heart rate is going to go down, which means my HRV is going to be better. However, if I'm getting better, and this is where her question stems from technically, if my, my resting heart rate is lower, I'm burning less calories throughout the day, which is true because my body doesn't need as much fuel. It can use oxygen now because your aerobic system uses oxygen to create energy. Therefore you don't burn as much fuel from food or body fat. You're becoming more fit. You could survive longer. You could walk longer, run longer, Train harder, all that. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? If I, if I'm improving my fitness like I want to, to to be more lean, more athletic, but it's improving my resting heart rate. Now I'm burning less calories. Like, what's the problem here? Um, few things. Number one, the other. So there, there's a compensation here because. On paper, that would make a lot of sense, and it's somewhat true. However, there's other benefits to fitness and training that lead to higher levels of caloric expenditure at rest and during the training session that outweigh that. So if what you're saying is true, and it is uh, it, it is true. So if what you're saying was... Uh, a greater extent than the other benefits, then the people who are extremely aerobically fit would not be ripped. They wouldn't be lean. They wouldn't be shredded. They wouldn't be able to, you know, look the part. Totally. They would just be freaks on the field and just look eh, you know, and this is obviously not the case. So what essentially happens is as we get more aerobically fit, we're probably able to train more. When we can train more, we can build more muscle. Muscle burns calories. When we can build more muscle, we get stronger. Heavier loads burn more calories, builds more strength. Um, We can do better work capacity. I mean, we can fit more training into a smaller window, which burns more calories. There's a greater epoch effect after that as well. So your uh, post-exercise oxygen consumption increases after the session when you get more fit. Therefore, you burn more calories day to day. So the list goes on. So yes, you burn less calories technically, um, but... That's a good survival mechanism, and there's a lot of other carryovers from getting really fit, especially aerobically, that lead to more calories expended, and it kind of counterbalances that. Totally. Um, in fact, it counterbalances it and then some. There's more benefits than just outweighing or, or equaling out to the lower caloric expenditure because of your heart rate being down. Um, and this is also why it's important to give your body a new stimulus of cardio. So, for example, um, and again, somewhat counterintuitive, but it, it's it's like... It, it all depends on what your goal is. If you're trying to get extremely good at running, you need to just keep running, right? But if you're trying to get a really aerobically fit and you want to keep burning a lot of calories or getting lean stuff, you shouldn't just run. You should run sometimes. You should row sometimes. You should pull the sled sometimes. You should do the bike sometimes. You should mix all of them together in a circuit sometimes. Um, you should go hiking. Like, throw different types of aerobic fitness at your body. And although – Your HRV score and your aerobic fitness might improve faster if you just did one modality because the skill of that modality allows you to do more of it faster, better, longer. Um, In a shorter period of time, it doesn't require you as long to build the skill, essentially. Um, I do believe you will get leaner while still improving your HRV and still improving your aerobic fitness because you're being able to mix up the modalities quite often. Um, Your body just doesn't adapt to the thing as much, pretty much, so... um, Kind of answers the question, I believe. Uh, but again, go listen to those other podcasts. Really, really good information on those. Um, and you can learn a lot about both just conditioning in general and HRV.
1: Totally. All right, cool. We will move on to the next one. It comes from Diane Obringer. It says, how do you suggest repairing metabolic damage?
0: Wow. That's a loaded question. Um, Depends. Yeah. Three things here. Um, and I actually, I'm going to keep this one brief because... <laughs> We, we've done full episodes on this. Mm. So, number one, I'm going to direct you to the other content. Uh, we have something called the Metabolic Adaptation Guide on our website. It's literally a full, it's an article, and we made it an article instead of ebook just because we wanted it free, easy to access, um, even though our other guides are free too. But it's um, written by Dr. Brandon Roberts on our team, which means it's, it's based on the science of metabolic adaptation. Then we have uh, the most, I believe it's the most viewed and the most popular blog on our entire website called Reverse Dieting 101 and it is, is—and uh, then parentheses it says, um, I think everything you need to know about metabolic adaptation. Um, both of those blogs will teach you so much and I've recorded podcasts on both of those as well, which are linked in the blog. So we'll link those blogs in there. That's the first thing because you will get way more of an answer to this question there than you will from me answering it on a and a um, number two, it's not metabolic damage. It's metabolic adaptation. And that is a very important thing to remember because um, damage insinuates that there's something wrong to the extent that it's broken. Um, and for example, if I, if I took Travis's laptop that he's on right now and I fucking punched the screen, I would break the screen, right? You could probably go get it fixed, but it's probably never going to work the same again. Yeah. Right? If I snapped the, the screen off, somebody might, out there probably could fix it probably not going to work same anymore that's damage adaptation is what i just went through with my laptop hey Trav, i can't work on my laptop it's it's not it's going super slow and it's not letting me update it you're like bro get a hard drive take shit off of it took shit off of it boom it's faster it was slowed down because there was so much stress put on it yeah. essentially i removed the stress and now it works fine adaptation works that way Your body is under stress. We remove the stress. It starts working fine again. Um, Damage is like, you broke it. You could probably fix it, but you're not going to fix it all the way. It's probably going to be fucked up for the rest of your life. Um, So it's important not to call it damage because it's not damage. Um, And number three, the easiest way I can describe how to fix metabolic adaptation. Again, go read the blogs because I'm going to make this super simple. Stop dieting. Train less. Sleep more. That's it. And that goes for 95% of hormonal issues as well. Thyroid dysfunction, testosterone issues, cortisol issues. People always get so sucked into these hormone issues. Stop dieting, aka eat more food. Start recovering better, aka get your fucking sleep in. Stop training so much, aka lower your training volume. You do those three things, your hormones will fix themselves. You do those three things, metabolic adaptation will fix itself too. Now, there is a step-by-step process to doing that for the metabolic adaptation. It's called Reverse Dieting, which is in that blog, and it'll you know you step up your calories in certain increments, whether you do a recovery diet or a reverse diet. Um, again, I've done another uh, episode on reverse dieting versus recovery dieting as well as a YouTube video. Um, but we have so much content on these topics, so just go look at all those things. Go to the website. Go to Google. Type in my name and type in Reverse Dieting. And I'm sure a bunch of shit will come up and you'll be able to actually get all those step-by-step processes. But truly like the biggest thing is you need to stop dieting. So you need to increase your calories slowly over time or fast. If you're in a really bad place from a biofeedback perspective, you need to recover better by sleeping more and you need to train less. So you're not overtraining your body. That's it. Totally. Yeah. Boom. Boom. All
1: right. Uh, let's move on to the next one. We got one coming from Rebecca Becker says, for a client with a bulging disc and a pinched nerve in the maintenance phase pre- preparing for a fat loss phase, how would you design a training program or would you just focus
0: on steps? So I'm going to, um, I'm going to say two, two things here. Number one, there's not enough information for me to give an actual answer because there's a lot of discs in your back. So and there's discs in your neck. So if somebody comes to me with a bulging disc and she said a pinched nerve – um, I'm going to assume you're talking about lower back, but there's discs between each segment of your spine, which means from the back of your head, your brainstem down to your coccyx, <laughs> which we were talking about earlier, there's discs in between each and every one. So is this a thoracic disc? Is this a lumbar disc? You know what I mean? There's different parts of your back and depending on which part of your back changes the training. So if somebody has a disc issue towards their neck and between their scapula, I'm going to be focused on manipulating the upper body training so much more and how they're loading their lower body workouts. If it's a lower back problem, it's one of the discs in the lumbar spine. I'm worried about them moving too uh, ballistically. So uh, abruptly, I'm worried about reaction time. I'm worried about uh, bilateral anything with or without load. So there's different aspects of this, right? Same thing with the the nerve. Um, But a lot of times people hurt their lumbar spine, and have a sciatic nerve issue, which is all lower back. So I'm going to assume you're talking about that. Um, Again, it's case by case. So there's certain people who have um, their flexion intolerant. There's certain people who are extension intolerant and there's certain people who are rotation intolerant. Um, If you really want to get in the weeds of this, follow Dr. Stuart McGill. He is the expert of low back anything um he has a really good i think he has two books i have one of them it's called something the athlete or something like that but it's about oh. fixing essentially athletes and he took one of the world's strongest power lifters from not walking to competing again um through his his extra. he invented um i believe he invented the bird dog uh, i want to say he invented the dead bug but well, he has like the the mcgill big three so yep. the curl up the bird dog and the um side plank um Those are three things I would have this person doing. Uh, I would have them doing only unilateral training. I wouldn't have them doing bilateral work. Um, I would have them doing a lot of um, offset or ipsilateral depending on... Ipsilateral would be if you're doing split squat, you're loaded on the side of... Like if I'm doing a split squat with my left leg in the front, ipsilateral is when I'm loading the left hand next to my leg. Offset is when I'm loading the right side. Um, That's going to depend on are they better or worse with lateral flexion and rotation. Um, Is it their core that's the issue? Is it their hip that's the issue? Those things like that. Um, But typically, bilateral training is going to be very key. The Stuart McGill Big Three, this is a situation where we would want to do mobility because there's obviously a weak link somewhere that they need better movement. Um, But again, all those things can't really be solidified without an assessment. So I can't say for sure. Um, Those are just the things I would throw out there so you start going down the right path of what to figure out. Um, But most of the time when I work with people who have low back issues, I'm – I'm first trying to figure out are they flexion, extension, or rotation intolerant, and what that means is did this injury happen because they don't they can't flex their spine properly so if you think about flexing your spine like a um, Jefferson curl, if you're standing up tall and you just round your back as much as possible to touch your toes, like your, your spine should be able to round in a flex position. Um, is it extension? You shouldn't be able to extend too far, but you should be able to extend your back and lean back, right. in hyperextension. Um, or if, if it's rotation, it's the, the ability to rotate. One of those three things usually causes the low back issue. Usually it's, if it's a car accident, it's probably the, the rotation because they get hit in the rotation when they get hit by the car and the car jerks side to side, uh, that caused the issue. When it's lifting, a lot of times it's extension reflection that caused it. Um, But nonetheless, we want to figure out what those are. We eventually want to strengthen that movement pattern. Um, And in the meantime, we want to start doing very simple exercises to help that. And if you look at the bird dog, the curl up, and the side plank, it fixes all three of those. Side plank would help with rotation um, because it's an anti-rotation exercise. The curl up is a controlled flexion exercise and the bird dog is a anti-extension exercise so you're avoiding extension while working in a unilateral pattern um so it's hard to say I, i would be looking for that i would be going to a lot of bilateral stuff um and taking it very slow i mean as far as getting them results yeah i'm probably leaning on walking and diet for fat loss and then just implementing slow but steady like bilateral training with some of these mobility drills um and then Dictating what I'm training them for based on the assessment. You know? totally. And there's different degrees of it, too. I've had people that have had those issues where we could still do heavy floor presses and chest-supported rows. They have no issues because it's not that bad. Other people, the second they grab a dumbbell in any position, it starts shooting pain. So it's like, how bad is it? you know? Damn. But wish well, I could help you more.
1: All right. We will move on. We have one coming from Just Your Average Female. It says, my question is about gym crushes sure if i'm the one to (laughs) so there's this guy and and whenever i see him i get the energy that makes me want to push harder lift heavier and i have never actually even had a conversation with him or said hello it's just the energy that i get from being in the same position as this person is that weird am i crazy does anyone else experience this
0: (laughs) um (laughs) that's awesome yeah i don't I, i don't think you're crazy i think it happens um boost of energy yeah i didn't uh i think i mean there's i think there's definitely something about um like being in the environment of somebody you know and knowing i mean shit the first time i met shannon i knew you know it's like there's there's a energy you feel yeah i'm sure um you think this person at the gym's the one for them i don't know you got to go talk to them and if if they're not you got to change the gyms. There you go. <laughs> Gems. After you give it your shot, and then you're Damn like, oh, it. shit. i to go 25 miles now. Um, no, but I mean, shit, I was just at uh, Theo and Steph's wedding. That's how they, you know, I was Steph's trainer. Mm-hmm. And there was some clear, hot and heavy tension between those two. And at one point, Theo was like, yo, I think you got to stop training Steph. <laughs> I was like, all right, find me a new client. <laughs> <laughs> it's my paycheck, bro. Uh, now they're married, have two kids. Touche. So um, it happens for sure. And I could feel that, you know. Um, I I met one of my exes, Kirsten. She was a Groupon client at the bootcamp gym. Yep. There was energy there. A good, I just good place. You, if you feel it, you feel it. You you just gotta speak up. Yeah. You know, who knows? I've never been in a so mode where I'm like, yeah. Now I can PR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I don't. I don't know. Like, I probably would be afraid to PR. I'd probably be like, I'm gonna choose a weight I know I can lift. Yeah. I only train up her body when she's around. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So we are encouraging you to make communication with this person. Yeah. Make a move.
1: All right. We will move on to the next one. It comes from Eric Williams. It says,
0: I saw your supplement guide and it did not include CLA. Actually, I got a really good tip for the gym one. Hold on one sec. Ask him for a spot. I think that's the best way to go about it. How he spots you determines how it feels about you that's good advice you know what i mean because like for example if you're squatting is he if he and you could actually tell a lot about a person here too if if there's clear tension and he squats you underarm which is what you're supposed to do he feels confident he's like trying to move but if he's like touching the bar he's kind of timid yeah do you want a timid guy i yeah. don't know you know what i mean you can see what kind of guy he is also too like does he touch you at all not in a weird way but like simple brush Contact. your yeah any contact, your yeah. elbow, your shoulder, anything after you get done, help you rack it and like intentionally kind of brush up against you. It's very easy to help somebody rack it without touching them. Yeah. I do it to other dudes all the time. Yep. I'm very clear about keeping my distance. Um, but if they have tension, I think that would be the best way. Totally. You know, or if he's too busy to spot you.
1: <laughs> Adios. Yeah. He'll make good. time. Yeah there you go good good all right we will move on to the next one this comes from eric williams it says i saw your supplement guide and it did not include cla what are your thoughts on this
0: man can you look up cla real yeah quick? it's i did the other day cla is such a uh unimportant <laughs> supplement that i can't even remember what it is it's something linoleic acid yeah con congenated i can't say that okay. word dude yeah. cla congenated is something like that yeah i've just always said cla um, do you have a definition for what it is? So people, I don't know. The type it. of fat dairy and beef are major sources of
1: CLA in the diet. Most CLA supplements are made from a soft flour oil.
0: Yeah. It's just not that important. It was touted as like a, a very important fatty acid to help with, um, health and fat loss and things like that. Um, you get more than enough inside your diet. It's not like an omega three where it's, it, it, there's a lot of benefits to like super doses of omega threes, which would be fish oils. Um, so it makes sense to get some fish oils in your diet and to supplement with it, especially because the, if you have higher levels of omega threes, it helps, uh, create a better ratio of omega three to omega six. Excuse me. Um, CLA has been, was just like, it was like a fat, uh, a fat loss supplement. They even had like raspberry ketones was one of the ones that they would do. They'd be like C, CLA plus raspberry ketones, all of which they all just suck. They just don't, there's just nothing there. Um, carnitine was another big one but carnitine has a little bit of evidence but it's just like i mean there's even people who like literally um like enhanced bodybuilders who would like inject carnitine into their bloodstream but that's how far you have to go for it to do any benefit you taking a carnitine pill is really not going to do much um if anything it would be better as like a nootropic supplement than a fat agent um but nonetheless uh there's a reason why it's not on our ultimate supplement guide so the ultimate supplement guide for those who are listening is like a Shut up. it's at least 13,000 words. It's so long. Um, and there's a, it, there's a like table of contents and so you can go right to the supplement you want to look at and there's like drop down. So instead of it just being scrolling for days, it's like, you, if you see BCAs you want to read, it, you click it and it pulls, it drops down you can see the information about it. It just makes it way easier to go through. Um, uh, but there's a lot of supplements in there, all of which are either, Um, highly beneficial, marginally beneficial, or the research is kind of inconclusive, so it makes sense to put in there. CLA is just not worth your time, it's not worth your money. No, don't take it. Totally. All right, we will move on.
1: Uh, This one from Brad Taylor. It says, when do you know if it is time for a cut? I had a 12-week cut earlier this year, followed by eight weeks reverse and maintenance.
0: I mean, from a health perspective, you're ready. You know, I think, how do you know when you are ready for a cut is when you are a uncomfortable in your skin. So if you're at a point where you're, um, you know, a lot of women will say a little fluffy or just carrying them too much fat. Like you just, I don't know. Like I get to a point where I'm like, you know what? I just, I can't see as much definition time to cut. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's different for everybody, you know, like uh, for, for me, if I can't see my abs at all in the morning, I've gone too far Mm. for other people who aren't as committed and dedicated in training all the time. It might not even be close to that, you know, it might be the pant size or whatever. Um, It's just what you're comfortable with. Once you pass that comfort zone, I think it's time for a cut. Now, from a health perspective, when your biofeedback has returned to normal, so I would guess that if you did a 12 week cut, unless you went really, really hard um, or you're just Plus, you foot in the, the reverse diet and you're not bringing your calories up, for lack of better terms, um, you're probably ready to diet. I mean, eight weeks of a reverse followed by, what do you say, four weeks of maintenance? Six weeks? He didn't. Oh. Eight weeks, probably, followed by eight weeks reverse and maintenance. Yeah, so 16 fucking weeks? Maybe. Yeah. he didn't really do like didn't specify maintenance. Usually, I would say um, my rule of thumb is one to two times the amount of time you spent in the diet. Um, if... Greater than two times if you're more of like a bodybuilder, which would mean like, hey, like, so, so here's a good example. Like, if you are trying to maintain a lean your gem pop, one time is enough. So if you do a 12-week diet, let's say your goal is 20 pounds and you lose 10 pounds. Reverse, stay at maintenance, return back to the diet after 12 weeks including the reverse. So you reverse up quickly in six weeks, then you maintain for six weeks. You're ready for a diet. Again, your health's probably returned. You're back to normal. Get after it. As long as you can mentally do it. If you're mentally still in a place where you're like, I really don't want to die. I don't think I can adhere. Just be real with yourself. Don't go back into it yet. That's where that one to two times as long. So anywhere between 12, to 24 weeks, three to six months. Um, And that's plenty of time, you know, because real, and you'll probably gain a few pounds in that maintenance phase. That's fine. But you won't gain all that weight back if you did it properly. then you go back to the diet and finish the job. Um, If you are, if you get all the results you need in the 12 weeks, like if your goal was 10 pounds, you lose 10 pounds in 12 weeks. I would, I mean, number one, there's no timeline. You don't have to go back to diet, hopefully, um, uh, unless you're going to a gaining phase, I guess. But what I would do in that situation is reverse diet really, really fucking slow because it's not like, okay, how long do I need to reverse before I can diet again? It's how slow do I need to reverse so that I can sustain the result I got? And it's more about having discipline and willpower so that you can slowly reverse and keep the leanness that you achieved for as long as it takes, and then you just never go back to the diet. You Gosh, know? And yeah. if you do, it's like I'm going to go back and do a mini cut for four weeks and shave off three pounds. Um, then the third scenario would be if somebody is more of like doing the in-season off-season. So you diet for 12 weeks, you get lean. Then you're going to start gaining muscle. Well, in that case, you're going to want to reverse diet pretty quickly so you can just start getting to work with building muscle. And then you're going to stay away from a diet as long as you can because the longer you stay away from a diet, the more likely you are to put on serious muscle mass. Um, I would say you need at least two times the amount of time. So if you did diet for three months, then you would want to at least have a gaining phase for six months Um, because you're only going to start seeing really appreciable muscle mass. If you're new, eight weeks, four to eight weeks, obviously if you're brand new, but intermediate and advanced, you need at least a couple months before you start seeing anything, and then you want to stay there so you can keep growing. Like, you're finally in that zone. Now, stay in that zone for at least, you know, I would say six months, but I've taken people through, like, nine to 12-month bulks, and it makes their diet so much better. They get leaner easier, they're more motivated to do it, and they see way more muscle tissue when they get there. Yeah. So. One to two times the amount of time spent in the diet is like the general rule of thumb and go way longer than that if you are trying to build muscle before returning back to a cut.
1: Totally. Cool. All right, we got a couple more here. One from Muad Ri. It says, I'm two years into training At about 10% body fat, and I'm running an upper-lower split. My question is around my legs. I've seen progress in my upper body from the program, but not my lower body. How can I build my legs up more, and can I add calves to my upper body days?
0: Okay. Um, Number one, can you add calves to your upper body days? Yes. Um, Actually, it's a great way to do it. Um, You can add calves. Calves are one of those muscles that you could – Probably train every single day if you want. Abs are that way too um, because they're stimulated in a lot of things. You're going to hit your your calves when you do sled work, when you run, when you do squats, when you do lunges, when you're walking day to day. Therefore, you probably need a good amount of frequency um, because you're using them all the time. So doing them in every session would probably be better instead of doing like six to eight sets at the end of your um, upper body day, especially because there's only – I mean – What can you do, single leg calf raises or or double leg calf raises? Yeah. There's nothing really, unless you have different calf machines, I guess. I would just do three, four sets of calf raises at the end of every single session. It's probably the best because then you're just loading them and doing them. Um, The other thing I would say too is, um, and I don't mean to like just crush the hopes of people who want to build their calves, but if you're not genetically gifted with calves, you're probably just not going to get calves. I mean, there's just so many people who dedicate their lives to bodybuilding and still have pathetic calves. It's just one of the most genetic muscle groups there is. Damn. Um, and a big piece that does uh, kind of go back to the one thing we were talking about, the limb length thing. A lot of that does have to do with limb length. Um, for example, I, that sounds weird saying I have great calves. I always, I've always had great calves. I always get compliments on my calves. I've been asked what I do to trim my calves. I don't do calves ever. Like if I'm doing somebody else's program and they put calf raises in there, I don't do them. I just, I think they're, one, I just get bored with it, but I also know I don't need, I'd rather use that energy on something else. Yeah. Um, but I have long tibias and short femurs. So when I have long tibias, there's a separation between the lower part of my, um, my leg and the, like my, my tibia literally. And yeah. then the part of my uh, upper part of my tibia, which means the separation for my calf. Just, it's just easier to get defined calves. Um, I also played soccer my whole life too. So that probably has something to do with it. Um, but if you are going to try to build them, I would probably do them every day, um, four days a week on your up, or upper and lower days. And then for your quads or your legs, because he said he also wants to build up his legs, right? His upper body grew. I would probably guess you're just not training hard enough with your legs. Um, I, I noticed that a lot of people actually, like here's the thing is if your upper body's growing pretty well, It tells me you're probably doing enough total volume. And the truth is, if your upper body's growing, then you know how much volume you need to do to grow your upper body, and you need half as much volume to grow your lower body for two reasons. One, because you use so much more load on the lower body because they're bigger muscles. Like, I bench press 200 pounds. I can squat almost 400 pounds for one rep, right? Um, I can squat way more than I can bench. I can deadlift way more than I can pull, like, bigger muscle groups um therefore i don't need to do as many sets because the load is so much higher that the volume equates way easier on top of that we really just have like two three muscle groups quads and hamstrings for the most part with like physique guys that's mainly what they're focused on throw glutes in there if you need it or if you're a girl um the upper body has chest abs technically but chest shoulders shoulders are split into rear delts side delts front delts um, triceps biceps forearms traps rhomboids lats kind of uh your your traps too are actually there's there's mid low and upper traps there's different parts of trap there's a lot of upper body musculature so to get enough volume in there you have to have a lot more exercises probably four times as many exercises whereas like a leg day for me might be squat rdl leg extension and then maybe one other exercise hip thrust four exercises right and if i wanted to specialize in a muscle i might put a third in another one in there Mm -hmm. um so the barrier or the thing that holds people back is being able to train hard enough and, it, and we know as guys, it's way harder to push yourself to the point of near failure to get the gains you need to create the maximal stimulus on the muscle to grow with your legs than it is your upper body. I've never heard of anybody throwing up after doing bench press. I've heard of many people throwing up after doing squats or leg press. Mm. Many people. Because doing high volume, heavy load leg press or squats, which are super beneficial for building your legs, it's grueling. It yeah. makes you want to fucking throw up. Um, there's times where I come home and I'm like shaking because I need food because I'm getting like hyperglycemic. It's never on an upper body day. It's always on a leg day. And I feel bad because I'm like, if like dinner's not ready, I'm like fucking shaking. And I start like eating out of the fridge. Chan's like, can you just wait? I'm almost done. Like I'm being a dick. I'm like, I'm freaking out. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I
1: could train legs today. It's like a baby deer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Literally. But that's, in, that's why there's so many memes. That's why people, there's like, oh, you don't train legs. Well, there's a reason. Like if, if legs were easy and fun to train, there wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, so most likely you're just not training them hard enough. Push the intensity on those and I guarantee. Um, and also you got to remember too, pushing intensity on there does one thing. It increases your effort. Effort is the biggest stimulus for growth. But also if volume is the most important thing based on research, pushing yourself harder is going to increase your absolute volume, right? So a lot of people will be like, all the research shows volume is, and this is where it's hard to pred- or, uh, interpret the research because They might do a research study that proves more volume is better, but they're just doing a leg extension with intermediate lifters. How much load can you really put on a leg extension? You have to increase the volume to create enough stress. And then you'll look at Olympic lifters and people are like, why are they so fucking jacked? Yeah. All they do is they lift three days a week, four days maybe. All they do is squat, snatch, and clean, which means they do kind of a deadlift, but they mainly do the clean. Um, They do a lot of front squats and they do some snatches in like, clean and jerk stuff like that which require part range part ranges of motion of the quad but they're not taking the quads to a full range of motion they're not doing tons of reps tons of volume but the loads they lift are really heavy there's olympic lifters that front squat 400 pounds so the absolute volume is really high so volume comes down to multiple things not always just sets or reps it's can be sets and reps, but it also can be the tonnage you lift throughout the week. It can be the, the amount of stress placed on the muscle, the muscle damage that occurs. Um, and if you're not doing those things in your sessions, it's because you're not training hard enough. Whether you're doing a high volume or a low volume, or a high intensity, or tons of exercises or one exercise, you gotta push yourself. Totally. So that's probably it. For sure. We
1: got one more here. Uh, guys, we have one coming from Kate it says, I want to incorporate more explosive exercises in my, w- into my up. However, do you have any suggestions for explosive movements for the deadlifts, both sumo and conventional besides broad jumps? I had patella tendonitis earlier this year and while it feels much better now, I'm afraid the jumping could aggravate it or
0: cause unnecessary stress. hmm Um, so few things here. One, you could potentially try a um, a band resisted broad jump because one thing that makes the patella tendon hurt worse, like have you ever like walked downhill and your shins and the tip of your knee hurts? Yeah. It's because of that downward force, right? Yeah. Um, broad jumps, if you haven't done broad jumps in a while, your shins will be so fucking sore. So will your knees, but your patella tendon will be too because you're jumping forward and when you land all that forward momentum, you're trying to resist it. Well, if you do band resist ones, I don't like them for this reason, but it's actually a good reason to do it. it it's nice to do it against the resistance, yeah. but because the resistance is pulling you back, you don't have that forward momentum leaning into the patel tendon stuff, so that actually might help it. It's, it's kind of pulling you back on the landing to aid in the tension placed in that area. Um, so that would help. Uh, you could also remember, like, you could do box jumps and squat jumps too. Uh, everybody has a different form. Like, even for me, I have a hip-dominant squat jump, so like... Um, like if you watch that video, you took me for the, the vertical jump test. I I don't squat. I actually go into a hip hinge. Like it looks like I'm in a deadlift position. That's just how I jump. I'm hip dominant for those, those things. Um, so you, you can do that. The other thing is too, is we're trying to stimulate the nervous system you could go do a fucking jam ball slam with your upper body and you would still get some benefit out of that because you're, you're amping up your nervous system and you're recruiting motor units and muscle fibers. You're not recruiting muscle fibers in that specific target muscle, but you are recruiting motor units and you are stimulating your nervous system, which is helpful. Um, so if you can't do a broad jump, you could still do something explosive and get the, some of the benefit. But specifically, I would go any other kind of box jump. I would go a, a band-resisted broad jump potentially. The other thing I would say is that Um, you could do, uh, functional isometrics. So like explosive, hard, brief isometrics. So for example, you have to have a good squat rack for this though. Um, or you could just load the bar up to an impossible weight and you could do that too. So like, for example, if you have a squat bar, you just put pins in the squat rack right above the bar on the ground. If you don't have a squat rack that does that, you could load, let's say your max one rep is 300 pounds. You would load 500 pounds. It's not going anywhere. You're not going to hurt yourself because you're not even going to get it off the floor at all. So what you do is you create tension, brace, act like you're about to lift, and then pull the bar as hard as you can, and you're maximally lifting, driving your feet into the floor, firing your lats, getting in the perfect position of a deadlift, and you're just literally pulling it as hard as you fucking can. Or if you're in the rack, you're pulling it into the pins for three to four seconds. Very short, but it's a very, very hard explosive contraction um, that's going to do the exact same thing neurologically speaking. The reason I don't program it a ton is because not that many people have the right setup in a rack. And it's very annoying loading that up. Cause like, for example, if I do a, um, if I do it with pins, I don't need to load it at all. So it's great. Or if I do a broad jump, I just do a broad jump. Then I can go to my deadlift and I start ramping up my weight. But let's say I only do it with a barbell. I go there, I load it up to 500 pounds, then I do three sets of those, then I unload it completely, then I do my one up set at 135, then 185, and it's like, that's just, I'm sweating from loading it, you know? Um, Now, you could do that as an isometric day, so I've done that where um, Christian Thibodeau is really big on this, and I remember me, Luca, Keem, all those guys, we ran a program like this way back where... Monday was eccentric, Wednesday was concentric, and Friday was isometric. So we did bench squat deadlift each day, and Monday was like a really slow squat. I mean, like nine second negative, like literally. So slow, and we had a guy with a timer, so you couldn't bullshit it. Wow! And usually, you had somebody help spot you up because by the time you get to the bottom squat, you can't get up; <laughs> it's so hard. And then uh, we do that with bench and RDL as well. And then on Wednesday, it would be concentric, so we would squat down and we would squat up super slow. Um, you can also do fast concentric, so you could be working on speed um, and pulling up super fast. Um, and then the isometric day would be pulling into pins. So on a bench press, you're just pressing into the pins and holding it. Squat, you put the squat pins like halfway and you squat from the bottom and press into the pins and you're just in that midpoint range squatting. It's a really weird sensation because you're squatting as hard as you possibly can, but you're not moving and you're halfway through the movement. Um, but it's a really good way to build strength. It's a really good way, uh, for athletes to train because you have awesome. to be able to have strength in explosive manner, concentric manner, eccentric manner, isometric manner, um, inside the field, inside the court, wherever you play. So, um, but that's for a whole day of isometrics, not for one lift. Yeah. Um, but those are some options. They would all work. Awesome. So, um, no announcements today, guys. I mean, I kind of already said them all. Check out the guides. Check out uh, firstform.com slash method. They got some new great products. Giantlifting.com. If you want some racks that actually have pins um, and many things that add on to it. That's one of the things I actually like about their squat racks. You can kind of customize them. So I have different grips for pulling. I have different bars in different places for bands and chains and, and pins and stuff like that. Um, It makes your squat rack experience way better. Uh, So check out giantlifting.com. Use the coupon code TCM5. Of course, if you need help with your coaching, you want to lose fat, build muscle, get stronger, and live longer, you can head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash coaching That's all we got for you guys today. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time.